It's time for another episode of Mainly Modifieds, where ground pounders and northeast speed freaks come to get their radio fix on. Let's join the Race Chaser Media crew in the studio. Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever episode of Mainly Modifieds. What is Mainly Modifieds, you ask? Well, we'll answer that question for you in a moment. My name is Tom Baker. I am joined by the co-host for this show and a longtime friend of mine and colleague, Kyle Souza. Kyle, uh, this is going to be an exciting venture, I think, for you and I because both of us share a very deep love for the modified division. Um, if you haven't figured out from the title, we're going to talk mainly modifieds on this show. However, we will also branch into some other New England divisions and keep you up with the latest on the touring series and such. So it's going to be kind of a Northeast slash New England focus. Um, and we're going to focus on things that race on pavement uh, with no disrespect meant to our counterparts on dirt, but we want to kind of keep this focus rather narrow. Um, Kyle, it's uh, great to be with you, and I'm excited to launch this show with you because you and I have been trying to do something for a while, and the schedule gods just haven't been too friendly to us. Um, now we get a chance, I think, uh, to... Uh, get back together here and talk modifieds on a weekly basis and keep everybody up to date with what's happening not just on the nascar tour but in all of modified racing in the northeast as well as other divisions yeah i agree tom good to be back and uh good to put this together i think this is something that race fans uh, need to hear uh it's something that race fans in the modified community are going to love we're going to have some guests coming up uh, once we get this rolling, modified drivers. I mean, you mentioned uh, pavement. So many different divisions pavement, especially yeah. up here in New England. Um, you know, we may cover things all the way from street stocks to modifieds to super late models. You know, the American Canadian Tour, the late model divisions. There's so much going on up here in New England, but obviously centered around the modifieds. Uh, hence that great title. I mean, this is going to be a show where race fans can learn about the Wheel of Modified Tour, learn about some inside information that I may have or you may have about uh, something that's coming up, something that's going on, an upcoming race, uh, and we'll talk to different drivers about how they feel about the season once it gets going and how they feel about the season before it even gets started here in the coming weeks. So excited to get this rolling and uh, talk modified, something both of us obviously love to do. Exactly. And so the next question is, okay, you're listening to the show where are we going to distribute the show? Well, um, we know that we are going to distribute it on Race Chaser Online our website, racechaseronline.com. A brand new site is in the works. It's just about done. And when it, uh, when it rolls out here in a couple of weeks, uh, you're going to have easy access to every show that Race Chaser does, from this show to the Inside Groove Super Modified show to all of our weekly live shows that cover all kinds of different racing. So you can go to racechaseronline.com and get it. We're also going to distribute it. Uh, we have a, an audio feed. We have a, a SoundCloud page that we uh, drop the shows onto each week when we're done with them. And that distributes them to just about any source where you would listen to a podcast. So anything from Apple to Google Play to uh, Spotify, wherever, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all you got to do is just search Race Chaser Radio. Don't search the show name, search Race Chaser Radio. 
All of the shows will be there, and uh, you can just pick whichever show you want to listen to. So we, we're going to try to make this as easy as we can for you all to find it. Um, and uh, so we're excited to do this, and we feel like this is going to be a great opportunity for Kyle and I to sit back and have some fun talking about uh, what we love. And at the same time, our goal for this is that it's not just us sitting here talking. We're going to have driver guests and other uh, folks that um, we can bring to you and let you hear from them as well. So this will be a a bit of a guest-driven show once we get going with it. Uh, and are able to kind of establish a rhythm. We'll bring bring guests on as as we can. And also, we want this to be a show that you all enjoy listening to. Here's what's important with a podcast. You've got to support it. You've got to engage with it. That's the key to growing the audience here. We know that there are modified fans all over the country, so we're not asking you to share it so that Kyle and I get big egos. Neither one of us have an ego. We really don't care to be famous. What we care about is that as many people know about this as possible so that we can get the biggest audience. We want this to be the biggest modified party that somebody throws every week. And uh, that's how we're going to get the information out. And it's going to benefit our guest drivers. The bigger the audience, the bigger the benefit. So we would ask that you please share this each week. Engage with it. Comment. Um, you know, and, and again, these are family shows. Uh, so, you know, keep the comments family friendly. But if uh, there's somebody you'd like to see on or somebody, something that you'd like to see us talk about, just let us know. We can't guarantee that we'll honor every request, but we certainly do our best here. So that's kind of how this show is going to be formatted and how it's going to be presented. We, uh, are going to have commercials in this show for sponsors. Um, so if you're interested in being a part of the show from a business aspect, let me know and uh, we'll, we'll work on making that happen. Um, we're excited to promote not only the drivers and the teams in the series that comprise Modified Racing and other New England motorsports, but also uh, the businesses as well. So just let us know. Uh, if you're interested in being a part of our show and we will talk with you about how you can make that happen all right with that said let's start the show here we've got uh a bunch to talk about actually a because it's the first show we've ever done and b because well it's january it's 2020 and we have got some big time stories out there floating in modified world right now the biggest of which i would uh argue kyle is doug kobe what is his future we know that mike smeriglio retired as a car owner all the equipment still sitting there phil moran is still available doug kobe certainly still available what are you hearing up there, Kyle? What is going to happen here? Because, man, it would just be a shame to uh, to break up that band after all these years of success that they've had. Yeah, so this kind of reminds me uh, of situations you see outside of racing um, in, in other major pro sports um, where a driver's contract runs uh, – not a driver, it would be a player, say in baseball. Their contract runs out, say, with the Boston Red Sox. Now they're looking for another team and just say there's no other teams out there. 
Um, and that's kind of the situation that Doug Colby is in here. I mean, this guy is obviously a proven winner, a proven champion. He's done it six times on the highest level of modified racing. He's done it six times since 2012 to now. So in a seven, eight-year span, he's won six of them, eight. Uh, and the others, he's finished second and third. So he's been there. His average finish inside the top eight for the last ten years. I mean, this guy is really no joke. We know he can get the job done. He's a 28-time winner. He's got over 100 top uh, 10s, 30 pole awards, which is up in the top six or seven in the all-time polls list. He's up there in the all-time wins list. You know that Doug Kobe can get the job done. Tom, you asked the latest on him. Not a quiet up here in New England about Doug Kobe. Really? Spoke to him here a little bit ago. Uh, a lot of people scrolling Facebook, commenting, wondering what's going to go on with Doug Kobe, what's going to happen. Well, Doug Kobe telling me he's working on a couple things, but nothing really worth mentioning at this point. Nothing good enough to say he's ready to compete for this team, he's going to compete for that team, which I don't know about you, Tom, but to me a surprise. I mean, a six-time champion, somebody that's dominated this series like this as a driver, obviously it takes a team, the whole Smirgoyle team is part of it, but the driver has the car in his control, and that kind of surprises me that nobody's picked him up. Well, this is what's interesting. You made an analogy to a baseball or football player. I would actually take that a step farther and say that Doug Kobe's situation is different from that player's because it's not just that he's a player looking for a team. His franchise is for sale. So the whole team is actually looking for a team in this case. And that's something you don't see very often. Um, This is a, a great opportunity. If there's somebody who wants to get involved in modified racing and has the resources, i.e. money, to do it, um, this is a great opportunity because literally you could have a turnkey championship operation. How many times do we get the opportunity to you know, to go in and literally buy a championship team? It's kind of like you know, going and suddenly the New England Patriots are for sale or something. You know, this is an opportunity to to literally get the team lock, stock, and barrel. Um, and Doug Kobe certainly still, I would argue, very much in his prime as a driver. Uh, he and Phil Moran worked together like hand in glove as a crew chief. The entire team knows what it's doing. It wins championship after championship, and it contends every year. Um, it really just needs... It needs a new a new owner. It needs somebody who isn't necessarily the type of person who wants to interfere in the operation as much as a person who wants to uh, fund it and be a part of it and guide it and help it grow. Um, you've got uh, Mayhew Tools um, that that's been involved for a number of years. Gosh, man! I mean, <laughs> this is. This is really kind of unbelievable to watch in a way because it's like all of it's just sitting there waiting for someone to come along and go, okay, let's go. Um, and short of that, Kyle, where does Doug Kobe go? I mean, if this if the team doesn't get bought, there aren't a lot of top rides out there available for him at this point. Well, I think that's the, that, that's the key point. Uh, and you mentioned the, the sale of the team. So talking to Mike Smiglio, uh down in Charlotte uh, in December about what, you know why he sold the team or he's trying to sell the team retiring just simply because he was ready to move on from racing. Uh, he won a lot. 
of championships, won a lot of races, and he wants to spend more time at home, which obviously a very fair uh, assessment for him to make. And not only something we're seeing on a regional level when we run 16 modified tour races, but something we saw on a higher level recently with Cole Pern dropping down from Martin Truex Jr. in the Cup Series, uh, not going to be his crew chief for next year, and going back to his family to spend more time with them. Kind of yeah. similar for Smiglio, who's you know deeply into uh, accounting. I mean, he, he's very well uh, prepared to move into a family life situation for him. But on the Kobe front, yes, he needs somebody to buy that team. I think that's his best-case scenario. Uh, and that team that we're talking about, Tom, is not cheap. Uh, no. Multiple cars, pit boxes, machines, a crew chief that comes in, Phil Moran, that gets paid to work on those cars, and that's his full-time job. Uh, it's not easy for somebody to go out and buy this race team unless they're really committed and they have, let's face it, a lot of cash on oh, their yeah. side. This is not a cheap operation. Um, on the flip side... Kobe, I, I don't know. There are really not many rides up there uh, that are up for the grabs right now. I, I really don't see any, uh, to be quite frank about it. With Eric Sanderson also retiring, you know, a lot of speculation in the beginning of the year if that ride was going to be open, uh, if Timmy Salomino was going to leave that team or they were going to part ways. Well, let's look at the reality of it. They did, and, and the car is no longer there. Uh, somebody bought those cars. Uh, Ronnie Williams is going to run some races uh, here and there with at least one of them on the modified tour for 2020. But Kobe kind of lost here in the middle. Um, and I, I don't know where he's going to end up. You know, he says he's working on a couple things. I believe him. Uh, the phone has been ringing here and there, he said. But I think the bigger part of this, Tom, is, is there's really nobody there to grab him. It's not that, you know, he's he's obviously prime target for anybody that had a seat sure. opening, but there isn't anybody that has a seat opening. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And then you mentioned Phil Moran. Uh, you, you've been around racing for a long time. This is kind of a rare situation on the regional short track level that we have people working full-time and getting paid to work on regional race cars. But that's Phil's situation, and that's his job. I mean, he needs to make some money, and I think Kobe probably feeling a little bit of pressure there to help Moran get that job. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really an interesting... Like I said, it, it's it's an interesting and intriguing scenario here because... You know, you've you've seen drivers, even in the last week or two, you've heard announcements, Chase Dowling has a full-time ride now, Woody Pitcat. You know, you've got guys that are getting rides, but you look at Doug Kobe, and what's interesting about this is that Kobe is used to, over the last number of years here, a level of performance and and a type of organization that barely exists. In, in the modified ranks. I mean, there aren't too many teams that have the type of setup that Doug's used to. So it's a it's an it's a really dicey scenario for him. And and I think that Doug is capable of driving anything you put him in. I think if somebody stuck him in a late model, somebody stuck him in a super, somebody stuck him in a a, you know a a, a a a truck, you know, it's I think he would he would find a way to win. I think he's that good. With that being said, it's just a, it's a really, he's sort of in a black hole right now because there aren't a lot of top rides available and um, nobody has come along yet to, um, to go ahead and scoop the team up. So it will be interesting to see uh, how this plays out. And I hope that somehow, some way that team as a whole can be kept together and can move forward because 
you know, that's that's an opportunity for some new owner to potentially win multiple championships in the coming years right out of the box. Um, it's not as if the team lacks anything. I mean, this is, you know, this is a team that, that proves itself over and over every year. It's just, uh, like I said, it's a really, uh, it's a very different and unique situation. We don't see this very often in the sport period, let alone in the modified part of it. Uh, and I just, I wish the best for everyone because, uh, it's a really, uh, it's a really tough spot to be in in January when the season starts in a couple of three months, you know, and uh, you don't even know where you're going, and all of these guys are kind of in limbo at this point. Yeah, and this is something that we're going to have to keep monitoring. Yeah, uh, You know, we're, we're, we're about maybe 75 days or so, I think, from the, the opener at South Boston, so not really much time for something to come together. 75 days seems like a lot, but it's really not um, because once something comes together, you got to prepare the cars and get ready, and I think Phil Moran would attest to the fact that if it was still Mike Smirglio's operation, those cars would already be under preparation for right. uh, oh, yeah, the for 2020 sure. race season. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I think if the team does stay together, if somebody buys the operation, then things kind of run seamlessly uh, and, and probably run to the same level that they were, or at least pretty close if the right owner purchases the team. But, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff going on there, Tom, with Doug Kobe, uh, a lot of head-scratching stuff. Uh, with the way racing is these days and, and why a six-time champion that just come off a dominant season uh, w- wouldn't you know, be in position to win that championship again with, with any team. So uh, interested to see how that plays out here over the next uh, couple months and if uh, we see him in a car for the opener or is this uncharted waters for the modifies and does Doug Kobe not have a ride for the opener? Well, and we'll, uh, we'll continue to talk modifieds and talk about other drivers other situations and what this season looks like with what we know going forward here as we continue with mainly modifieds we're going to step aside for a moment we'll be back right after this hms motorsport is the leader in motorsport safety hms serves the majority of nascar indycar and imsa weathertech teams as well as countless scca and club level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout north america the representatives are experts on making your track driving as safe as possible. You have family and friends who care about you, so don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop into HMS Motorsport, visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com, or send them a Facebook message and tell them the folks from Race Chaser Media sent you. Welcome back to Mainly Modifieds. Tom Baker and Kyle Souza with you talking modifieds and uh, some other things as well as we carry on here on this first ever edition of this show. And again, we've been talking about Doug Kobe and his situation, but a lot of other stuff going on with regards to modifieds in New England and staying kind of focused on the tour for a bit. Uh, we do know that Chase Dowling now has a full-time ride in the 82 car. I was really happy to see this, Kyle, although I must admit maybe a little bit surprised, if not only because I was wondering if maybe the Chase Dowling-Jamie Tomano partnership would continue and and kind of grow, but uh, this is a really good opportunity for Chase, and and I'm going to be interested to see how he does in this equipment. Yeah, so the Jamie Tomato chase Dowling relationship, for those who don't know, uh, lasting just that one year. Yeah. Um, and, and they had worked together back when Dowling was Sonoka Rookie of the Year 
on the Modified Tour, which I believe was 2015, they had been together. So their second time that they came together uh, as a race operation, their first time here in the last couple of years, uh, and they did pretty well in the races they ran. They were really strong at South Boston, finishing up front in the opener. They almost won the Spring Sizzler, in my opinion, the dominant car, uh, had a parts failure there late. Uh, and in the other races they ran, they were competitive as well. So him jumping into this 82, you know, he, he jumped into it towards the end of the year, uh, ran most of the last couple races in the car after Woody Pitcat and Danny Watts parted ways in the middle of the season. Uh, Dowling respectful in the car, uh, inside the bottom of the top 10, sometimes yep. running up towards the front, sometimes just outside the top 10, and they're kind of growing pains together uh, with their Troyer race car. Dowling knows the setups pretty well. He used to build and work at LFR Chassis, uh, so he, he's a pretty good shoe, not only driving, but the setups under the hood, which is obviously, you know, almost as crucial, if not as crucial, as the drivers uh, in these modifieds these days. So that pairing with Danny Watts, I'm just as much as you are interested to see how that goes. Uh, I don't quite know that they're going to be a car that's going to contend weekly for winning races, though I do think they could pull off a win or two uh, throughout the season unless they make a step up in their operation. I don't see them, you know, being the next Justin Bonsignor or Ronnie Silk here and winning three, four, five races. But a fair assessment for somebody that's run weekly in the SK Modified and SK White Modified, that Stafford up here graduated from that, gone tour racing, part-time, full-time, now back full-time. And, Tom, outside of that, he's also going to run full-time in the SK Modifieds at Stafford, jumping a ride there that Dan Avery is part of uh, in, in an operation there that's going to allow him to contend for both the Wheel Modified Tour and the SK Modified Championship. That story coming out uh, last week on one of our other New England race outlets up here. So good to see him jump on and ride for the Tour. Uh, and outside of just him, we just mentioned Woody Pitcat, or I did. Um, how about him, too? He's running with a guy that you're very familiar with from down south, Eddie Harvey, going to run the full-time slate with him, and that, that seems like a really good pairing to me as well. It's an interesting pairing. Um, Eddie is a great guy and obviously has put his heart and soul into the modified deal. Of course, he and Andy Sice, very successful together, championship-winning team um, when they were running together here in the south. And um you know what it's 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 good for woody and i think it's obviously great for eddie i'm a little surprised again to see a full-time tour effort here but you know when when nascar kind of condensed the wheel and modified tour it put some of these guys like eddie harvey into a bit of a box because the really once nascar took the southern modified tour away there aren't really, I mean, there are modified races here. We've got a couple series in the South, and I don't want to disrespect them, but it's nothing like it could have been if the Tour had really flourished here, and, and certainly at one point uh, back in the day, the Southern modified scene was pretty strong. Um, so this is an opportunity now for one of the top Southern operations to go ahead and run the Tour again um, with a driver who obviously can get the job done and and i think this is going to be an interesting pair to watch uh and you know woody seems like a driver you kind of keep waiting for him to have that real breakout that one year when you know everybody he he becomes the you know the monsignor or the kobe and uh we haven't really seen that to the degree that I think what he's capable of. So hopefully with this team, with Eddie's backing and, and, and that team coming together, that'll be a very 
entertaining team to watch, and I think certainly they will be contenders on the tour. Yeah, I agree. And they ran a couple of races together uh, late last year and ran pretty well uh, in contention inside the top ten. What are you guys that also, much like Chase, graduated from Stafford Motor Speedway as a champion there and as a champion of a Thompson Speedway yeah. uh, up here as well. So he definitely knows how to get the job done. I mean, those two guys, obviously two of the newer guys in newer rides. You've also, you know, we've mentioned Bonsignor and Ronnie. So if you're not familiar with those two, just take a look at their stats. Bonsignor is one. A large amount of races here in the last couple of years with Ryan Stone as his crew chief. Ryan coming over from Junior Motorsports. Uh, they've pretty much dominated the tour, winning one of these two titles. And they've won 14 of the last 32 races. So basically half of the tour races in the last two years. They've won together. Ronnie Silk picked up a couple wins with Kevin Stewart Motorsports uh, in 2019. And we're, you know, no, no real... Confirmation. I'll have to check with Ronnie. I'm under the impression he's going to be returning to that ride for another full-time slate. Uh, really nothing been said uh, on the contrary about it. I'll check with him, though, before we uh, come together for our next episode. Maybe, we, In fact, maybe we can get him uh, coming up to speak about how his Kevin Stewart Motorsports operation went this year and what he expects. And then other guys, Tom, you know, Craig Lutz coming aboard yep. uh, as an emerging favorite in 2019. Guys like that. I mean, the Modified Tour are healthy right now. A good amount of cars. But how about on this schedule front? I mean, you were down there and may have even attended some of the modified tour races at Martinsville, uh, and, and that's something added on for 2020 that I think a lot of people are looking forward to seeing. Actually, I have never had the chance to see the modifieds at Martinsville. I can remember when I was very young, this would be late 70s, maybe early 80s, um, when MRN carried and broadcast a couple of modified races from Martinsville and and I had was able to get them on my local radio station when I was still uh in Oswego New York growing up and it just I mean modifieds in Martinsville are like hot dogs and ketchup I mean you just it they go together so naturally I can't wait to see the return of the modifieds at Martinsville Speedway when they announced that race. I mean, that was something that we've been talking about on our race chaser shows for years. And when they finally announced that it was going to happen, uh, there may have been a bit of a whoopee from the studio <laughs> or yippee that went out because I was just blown away that they were finally going to pull this trigger. And I'm glad that it worked out. Um, you've got some tracks this year talking about the schedule that I think are just made for modifieds. Now, Iowa's a little far, and it's a big ask. Let's be honest here. Iowa's a big ask because NASCAR has never really built the modified division in the way that they have built their other divisions in terms of national markets. And so you, you don't have as far as I know, anyway, you don't really have any cars that are sort of in the area over there. There aren't any modified, there's no modified racing over there of, of this type. So you're asking, you know, all of the teams from New England and New York and New Jersey and PA or wherever they're, they're located to travel a good bit west to Iowa here and run this show. It's a big ask. And with that being said, it's also a huge potential, Kyle, because 
they're this is a sh- this is an opportunity for the modifieds to go outside of their normal market and show themselves off and prove what I believe you and I would both agree on, which is that they are the absolute top division in all of NASCAR. Um, and and to do it on a track that, to me, is the perfect blueprint. If you're going to build a racetrack, build that. Um, you know, there's three, four, or five grooves on that track. I think the racing is going to be outstanding. And then you've got Martinsville, which obviously will will that they will no doubt pack the place for this show because it's just been too long coming, and everybody's going to want to go see this. And then Jennerstown in Pennsylvania is a track that I've been to quite a few times to watch Super Modifieds run and even the Super Cup Stock Car Series a few times. Um, great management, great people there. Uh, they they draw seven eight thousand uh, people for for their biggest shows. I think the modified tour will will easily pack that place, um, and there are three tracks that are going to provide some really exciting racing for the modifieds. Kyle, I just I look at those three tracks, and yeah, it's a little tight. Yeah, there's not a lot of time between races in some parts of the schedule, but if the teams can do it, this is I think a potential launching point for some growth in the modified division outside of you know the the sort of new england northeast cocoon if we can do this type of thing for a couple three years i think you might see some uh some modified start popping up in other regions of the country that maybe haven't seen them because i just i think that it would be a blast to see a midwest modified tour um, if you could, you know, get uh, get enough cars to participate, Kyle. I mean, the setup here, the, I just love the looks of the schedule. The setup here is really ripe for uh, kind of new growth in the modified division that we haven't seen in a while. So I, I, I echo most of your uh, sentiments there. I think these three tracks are good for the modified community. Uh, and I think one of them comes at an ill-placed time in the schedule for race teams. I think that would be Iowa, and I'll talk about that in a second. But you mentioned Martinsville and Jennerstown. Uh, I, I have never been to either of the two tracks. Looking forward to getting there, uh, hopefully in 2020, definitely to Martinsville and hopefully to Jennerstown. Yeah. Martinsville is race number four of 17. Jennerstown is race number five, and there is a week in the middle. So those two races, first of all, at the beginning of the schedule where most race teams have settled their budget, know what they've got to spend, and are deciding to go to these tracks as part of their budget, number one. Number two, they probably haven't wrecked a whole lot of stuff in the first couple races, hopefully, so the cars are still in one piece, and they don't have to fix them early. So those two things, good for the placement of those two races. Martinsville, part of the cup weekend there, obviously elevates the modifies again to a cup-level crowd. Uh, The cup-level crowd sees that up in New Hampshire uh, each year, so obviously good there. Jennerstown seems like a great track. Uh, for modified racing we've seen some of the super late model special shows there the last couple of years really be successful i think this is going to be no different uh those two races really place well where they have martinsville a week off jennerstown a week off and then seekonk uh after that so the placement of these dates good for the first couple i hinted towards iowa being in a bad place in time in the schedule and let me explain why Iowa comes on Friday, July the 31st. And I just did a quick Google search, Tom. On average, from Connecticut to Iowa, 
uh, Newton, Iowa, on average, is going to be different for every race team, I'm sure, but it's somewhere around 1,200 miles to get there and get back. Uh, so it's 1,200 one way. So 2,400 miles uh, round, trip. round trip. That's a lot of miles. You're right. Um, on a truck and trailer and a race team, uh, not just for uh, whether that be for the truck and trailer and the, the, the tow truck drivers, but also the race team that has to get back and forth. I will share... A uh, couple sources inside the modified community telling me from NASCAR uh, that NASCAR is trying to figure out some type of situation which may or may not, and I say may or may not, it's in the early stages, may or may not include a charter flight for some of these race teams to fly some people out there out of Providence and or Boston and or Bradley and Connecticut somewhere to get these race teams there at a little bit cheaper of a cost than it would be for them to fly commercially through American Air um, you know, yeah. Delta, yeah. Southwest. Uh, so NASCAR is trying to figure something out to help race teams, which is good. The problem, though, Tom, is there is no week off until there's another race. They race on Friday night at Iowa, and they come back and race the next Friday night at Stafford Springs, meaning that the teams with one race car are going to be in a hurting situation by the time they get back from Iowa, probably Sunday night, Monday, and have to turn the car around by Friday at Stafford, uh, and that's not an easy task, especially since they probably parked the haulers on Thursday night, so your car has got to be ready by the daytime on Thursday, and as a, as a guy that knows the modified community as well as I do, that's tough on race teams that only yeah, have one car, for sure. to turn it around from going from a huge track, you know, I say it's a huge track, it really isn't, but a bigger track than they're used to running out at Iowa, back to the half mile of Stafford, that's a tough turnaround. Uh, for some of these teams to make, yeah, it really is. There were the, when they announced this show, the first few things that went through my mind were a, this is a great opportunity. Like I talked about before, not only for modified racing as a whole in the big picture, but for the sponsors like Mayhew Tools, these these sponsors for these teams to get into a brand new market and promote their products, which is great. Um, my first concern was the travel and what that's going to mean for the teams the expense of it um the time because again a lot of these people or most of the people who work on these teams are not full-time employees they have nine to five jobs or whatever and they do the racing on the weekends so you're asking for they need to take basically most or all of a week off to go there and then <clears throat> excuse me then they'll come back and like you said they've got to be race ready on friday for stafford i would have thought it might have made sense for there to be at least a one weekend break between the iowa race and the and the next race to give the teams a little more recovery time um not too sure why that didn't happen maybe it was just impossible to work scheduling the right way obviously the iowa race is part of a nascar weekend so that wasn't going to move maybe we could have done something with the stafford date i don't know obviously not because they didn't <laughs> but that is going to be a really tough a tough ask and that's why i said this is a big ask of the teams and this is gonna this is gonna kind of tell us where modified racing's at if the teams can find a way to go do it and do it competitively and they put on a good show, I think this opens up some doors here 
um, for the tour to be added to maybe some other NASCAR weekend shows at different tracks, hopefully a little closer to home base here. But um, I think sending them out there, as long as, you know, my concern was I hope they're paying a much bigger purse. Um, and I still don't really know what that looks like. But hopefully the the amount of money that you're racing for will help you financially to offset the cost of the extra cost of the travel and, and the expense. Because as you said, regardless of how many passengers are in the truck and trailer, it's still going to take the same amount of gas to haul it, haul it out there and back. Uh, and you got hotels and everything else. Um, so this will be interesting. It's really going to be an intriguing thing to 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 watch and and i hope that the teams can find a way to support it kyle because i just look at these three tracks as being you know big time shows these these are these these shows are going to get a lot of publicity they're going to get a lot of media attention from media who don't normally talk about or cover modifieds and that's nothing but good for the division so you know the only you know, the big question is the finances and, and teams being able to get time off and all of that. If they can make all that happen, this could be one of the biggest years ever for the NASCAR modified tour um, to be able to go and do something like this. And hopefully could be a situation where it could even entice some new sponsorship into a division that badly needs it. Yeah, I think that's the other tipping point there, that last point, uh, sponsorship. I mean, does this help? elevate the tour a little bit more on a, on a national level sure it might um but does it help to elevate the tour on a sponsorship level is going to be the key there uh they, they averaged somewhere around 30 cars this year i believe it was about 31 um i would say that if you're looking at you know going out to iowa they're probably going to get 20 to 23 uh that are going to make the haul out there right uh, i don't i don't think it's fair to say uh that there are going to be a, a large slate of guys that are going to be interested um, though I do think you're going to get your normal guys, Justin Bonsignor, Ron Silk, Matt Swanson, sure. Bobby Santos, Dave Sapienza, Doug Kobe if he's got a ride, Pitcat, Goodale, Dowling, Rob Summers, I mean Tommy Catalano, the guys that are running and what's included in there, the guys that are guaranteed the full-time slate are going to go. Um, I think we're going to get into the issue, though, where there are guys that might not run the full-time slate that may not go, and names come to mind. Uh, like that, you know, you're probably going to get somebody like Calvin Carroll that may not go if things are not going too well, although they're going to plan on going. Who knows what the middle of the season looks right. like for him. Um, guys like Anthony Nocella that run part-time. Gary Putnam that runs part-time. I mean, Joey Muchacharo, Andrew Moeller, you know, and Tom Rogers Jr. that runs only at Riverhead. Does he want to take the trek out there? I doubt it. Um, so there are guys that are going to go definitely, and then other guys that may not go. And I think whether they go or not could determine the the future of that race, but it also could determine whether or not these guys go because of the purse. And I, I haven't seen a purse structure yet. That's going to determine a lot of it too, Tom. I know um, you're asking teams to go 2,400 miles, so obviously the purse is going to be better than it would be on your Friday night Stafford right. race. But how good is it going to be, I think, is going to determine how many cars go too. So the ball... Almost really, you know, I say this, uh, and maybe a little bit far-fetched, but the ball's almost in NASCAR's court here. It is. Not only with the purse, but with that charter flight idea. Does that pan out? Um, is that going to happen? Are they going to cut costs for race teams? How many tires are they going to allow? Because that adds another cost. I mean, the ball, in my opinion, is in NASCAR's court to see how this Iowa race works. 
based on what they do before we get to the race determines how many cars show up for the race. Well, that's the, that's what I was talking about when when I mentioned the purse. It's got to be a higher purse to offset the travel costs. You know, you, you're you're asking a huge thing from your teams, which are all based in New England or in the Northeast, to go all the way to Iowa to you know to run a race on a Friday night, no less. So you're going to have to make it worth their while. If you don't, then it's going to be very hard for. As you say, the teams that are kind of the non-regulars are the ones that are the lower dollar teams that are on the fringe. It's going to be hard for them to, um, you know, to be able to go out there because that's going to take um, that's going to take a travel budget and an expense budget that's probably two to three times what uh, they normally would have to spend. I mean, and that was always one of the things about the Bristol show too. Is you know that's a it's a five figure kind of deal by the time you you know you you put everybody up and you travel down and you do all that and you go racing and uh buy the tires and all that you that's a pretty expensive deal and you're going much farther than bristol tennessee this time so i think it's a great idea i love seeing it there i love it being on the schedule i think it's the perfect track if you're going to stretch the market and try to put them somewhere outside of their usual kind of area then i think iowa is the perfect track to do it but again you know you've got to make it worthwhile for the team so hopefully nascar is is doing that and we can get a, a good field if you can pull 20 uh or more of of the cars out there i think that would be a great first show uh if you can get any more than that that's a that's a bonus but um Again, I think the concept of stre- trying to stretch the market just a little, just to see if you can maybe light a spark um, and and get some some tracks to, you know, to start a modified class or s- some folks interested in in having teams that are kind of outside of the immediate area. Well, then you could you could slowly start uh, branching out with the division and that that model as a whole. Um, but man, it's 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 going to be crazy. I think Jennerstown is obviously a little easier. Uh, Martinsville is not all that bad uh, to get to in Virginia, so I think those two shows will be fine. And again, you know the the spotlight and you know new audiences, new markets. I think is going to be uh, Martinsville, obviously a return. Jennerstown, a new idea at least uh, recently. I'm not sure if the modifieds have ever run Martinsville, but if I know they haven't in a while. Um, and I think that's that knowing and not Martinsville, but Jennerstown, I don't think they've run there in a while, if at all. So I think that's going to be, but I know the area well enough to say that, uh, the folks will turn out in droves for that one. And I'm sure that, uh, the management at Jennerstown will do everything that they can to make that as big as possible. So should be an interesting schedule for the tour, albeit, as you said, a little bit more crowded, uh, so hopefully all of that gets worked out, and it should be a good season. We have plenty of other modified racing that's going on in New England, and we want to get to that and talk about that as well. We're going to step aside for just a moment. When we come back, we talk tri-track and what else is going on in modifieds and in New England motorsports in general. You are listening to Mainly Modifieds with Tom and Kyle, and we will be back in just a moment. 
Everyone knows Strutmasters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles, and now we offer motorcycle products. Introducing Easy Rider Complete Motorcycle Air Suspension brought to you by Strutmasters.com. You can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch. Take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of Easy Rider Air Shocks. They're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider Motorcycle Air Suspension at Strutmasters.com. Welcome back to Mainly Modifieds as we continue with our first ever episode of the show. Kyle, we've been talking NASCAR Tour for a while. I want to get to some of the other modified series uh, that are that are up in New England because somebody actually, I was having a conversation with someone over the break when I was home with family in Oswego. Somebody said to me, are there too many modified tours and modified series in new england now do you think do you think there's too many i said no i don't because everybody seems to be talking about all of them nobody i'm not hearing that from anybody in new england that there's too many there's not enough cars to go around whatever but i'm gonna throw that out to you i mean we know the nascar wheel and tour or the nascar modified tour is the nascar modified tour um what about these other series? Is are there too many now? Because again, I've not I'm not hearing that, but you're much closer to it than I am. Yeah, I I, I don't think so. Um, and I think there's been some that tried to start up that kind of folded, um, and, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, there was one, and, and I'm not you know saying these to, to call anybody out, but right. just r- recent modified operations that didn't work. Uh, the Bullring Bash last year. Uh, founded by former Thompson Speedway general manager Josh Veneta, um, that did not work. They ran one event with a low car count. The second one was canceled. Subsequently, the whole thing's been canceled. Yeah. Um, and then the modified touring series, which was operated by Gary Knight, ran at least some races. I know they ran a race at Seekonk um, a couple of years ago. I, I think maybe they ran one or two one year and then a couple the next year, and then they folded um, and stopped running. I mean, the series that are kind of left up here running – uh, at least some schedule. Obviously, the modified tour that we just talked about a lot, right. the NASCAR tour. Tri-Track's got a six-race slate, which we'll talk about in a second, and then the Valenti series is still intact, um, running a, a much lim- much more limited schedule um, than they have in recent years um, But for 2020, but they're still going to have some races as well. And let's face it, I think the modified tour is a different situation than some of these other series like right. Tri-Track. Right. Um, it's on a higher level. The budgets are much higher. The schedule is much more intuitive than the Tri-Track series is. Sure, you don't see a lot of driver crossover, but we do see driver crossover. But there's not a car crossover. I mean, Justin Monsier, when he shows up, does not run that 51 car. When Ronnie Silk shows up, he does not run that 85 car. Um, So I think there's a balance there between how many cars show up and how many cars don't and how many of the same drivers show up. I don't see... Tri-Track is a competitor to the NASCAR Tour. To me, it's something completely different, runs separate, uh, similar drivers at times, but it's a different style racing where it's 100 laps, go with all you got instead of 150, maybe save some, have a four-tire change style. So I don't think there's too many divisions up here right now. I think it's actually closed down to three or four, and the races don't conflict, so I think that works. Well, and that's the main thing, and that's kind of what I look at when – when you evaluate that kind of a question, now that was a good question because obviously there's now multiples or there's been multiples for a while. Um, 
do the series conflict? Do the dates conflict? If you if you try to try to keep it so that your series dates don't conflict with the next series dates, then you have all of the cars available to run all of the shows. And then, of course, it's up to each series promoter to make the series appealing enough to the drivers and teams that they want to come and run. But when you start running against each other and you start and or you start making rules, we see a lot of this in my area here in the south with late models, NASCAR late models, all these tracks have made little rules where it makes it hard to go from one track to another because the rules are just different enough that you gotta you gotta change your car or do whatever. And what you've what you've wound up with is you've wound up splitting the you know, the field basically, so all the tracks are getting thirteen or fourteen cars, which really isn't great racing. So um I think we've fractured it and as long as you keep this the series working together more or less in the sense that we're not trying to literally steal cars from each other someone else who's running on the same night i think you're doing well and if you can have two or three different series i think that's that's good because it makes it more affordable and more logical if someone wants to get into the modified division they have more choices and more potential races to run something that hurts the super modified division that you know, I grew up watching and I'm still really involved with the Inside Groove show is there's just not enough shows for the Supers. So if you could if you could add shows, then it makes it more worth the investment of all the equipment and everything that you it takes to go racing. So I feel like what you've got with the the modified situation in New England now, it seems like the tour, as you said, is the Cadillac. You know, that's the big budget. Then you've got the the, the smaller tours like TriTrack and the VMRS that are more for kind of a weekly racer on a weekly budget um, who wants, you know, just want to go and travel and run some shows. And it looks like TriTrack's got about a half a dozen races. And I love the tracks they're running, too. That's It's kind of an interesting variety with uh, the TriTrack series. Yeah, so that that's the other thing about TriTrack. They're not running such a wide range of six different right. tracks. They're running... Uh, just a couple different tracks. So a couple, I mean, there's four. Uh, four different tracks in six races. Uh, they've got an opener on May 2nd at Manadnock, May 24, Memorial Day weekend at Claremont, July 1 at Seacock with a tri-track open-wheel 10 grand to win show, the SBM big show at Star on July 25th, and then August 15th and back at Manadnock, and then they end the year back at Seacock to crown the champion on the 24th. That, to me, is the ideal modified schedule for somebody that doesn't want to run 17 races sure. and spend let's say, a half a million dollars to run up front. Because that's what I think the guys that are running up front in the Modified Tour are probably spending uh, somewhere between 375 and 500 uh, by the time you put all the cars together and get all the people to the track for a whole schedule. So that Tri-Track Series slate um, you know, seems to fit some drivers. It seems to not fit some drivers, which is fair. Um, there's 40-something cars at certain events. They're averaging somewhere around 30, 35. Um, and, and they're running heat races instead of time trials, which is obviously a factor for fans that like to see that. So um, that that's good to see that the Tri-Track Series is back for 2020. Uh, for those who don't know, Tom, I know we didn't uh, we didn't really introduce ourselves to start the program. We're, we're expecting you to know who we are. If you <laughs> yeah. don't know who I am, though, 
Um, I did just agree to uh, handle the public relations along with Nicole LaRose for the Tri-Track Series in 2020. So for you. looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to uh, kind of seeing where that takes me and where that takes the Tri-Track Series for their 2020 season. I mentioned the Valencia Series. They're still a part as well. They've got some racing going on in 2020 at Beach Ridge. Um, they may or may not be at Thompson uh, for whatever happens there for 2020 as well. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I want to touch on here, Tom, in, in this segment uh, before we close our first show here is these open modified races at Stafford. Yes. Um, and this this goes along the same lines as the Tri-Track Series and the Valenti Series. In my mind, the rules are similar, um, and there's four 80-lap races that Stafford is sanctioning by themselves, tech inspecting by themselves, running by themselves, and these seem to be working. I mean, they're getting good car counts. And here's the way I look at it, and I may be a little far-fetched to think this, but I think five, ten years from now, the NASCAR Modified Tour may not be at Stafford Motor Speedway. Um, and here's the, the reality of the situation. Stafford Motor Speedway can spend probably half of the money that they spend on a Modified Tour race, get a similar car count with similar star power, and a very similar crowd. Ooh. Um, so I think, and you're going to see some other tracks, I think, jump onto this eventually, uh, Stafford's might be better off going forward running these open modified races, and I think that's why they've jumped to four of them this year instead of just three. They're working, they're getting car count, they're drawing fans, and they're 80 laps, which forces teams to really not hang around all that much and kind of go for the checkered flag right off the drop of the green. Well, that's intriguing. You you probably opened a can of worms with that comment, and... That's good, because that's the whole idea, is to get people talking, right? That's what we're supposed to do with these shows. Um, that's an intriguing, that's an interesting thought. I I could see the, the problem NASCAR has in that scenario, Kyle, is, as you know, the majority of the teams that comprise the Wheel and Modified Tour are based in New England. It is essentially a New England series, or it was until this year. You had a couple of races that, you know, you got one in one at Riverhead, one in New Jersey. You know, you had the occasional dalliance outside of New England, but the majority of the shows in the Wheel and Modified Tour were in New England or the immediate surrounding area. Now you're starting to branch out. You're going to Iowa. You're going to Virginia again, which I, I, I understand. We've had one or two shows we had show, a show at uh, Myrtle Beach the last couple of years, whatever. But I think what you're saying is that a lot of these New England teams, you could, you could basically save a lot of the expense that having a NASCAR sanctioned show brings and, you know, get just do pretty much just as well. It's that's an awfully interesting idea, and it will be interesting to see if that happens. Um, I I like the concept, and you don't want to you don't want to dismiss NASCAR, but you know because again, really NASCAR started with modifieds. I mean, you, there are a lot of people who will will tell you that, and, and it's hard to to argue with it. The modifieds were NASCAR's original. Grand Division. I, I just think, I think it, at some point, you would have to see an opportunity to do some other things outside of just that NASCAR brand. But boy, um, 
you know, what that does to the wheel and tour or what not having, I keep calling a wheel and it's not wheel anymore. What, what, what the, the, that does to the NASCAR tour, um, or rather there is a NASCAR tour in five years is that's, I would have never thought about that, Kyle, but uh, apparently there's some folks up in New England thinking about it. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that, that's kind of been another discussion, and that was part of the discussion that was going into the schedule for 2020. Um, was Stafford's August show going to be in that schedule? And it ended up in there, and we just talked about how uh, that's a tough gap for them, for race teams. But, yeah, I think that's going to be something to watch going forward. Uh, obviously not for this year, but maybe even starting for – for next year, I think for the time being, you're going to see definitely the fall final and the spring sizzler uh, be NASCAR race, modified tour races. But who knows what the future could hold there at Stafford, Tom? Uh, that's going to be uh, interesting to see. Stafford's also got uh, a full slate of weekly racing going to go on for 2020, right. as do all of the racetracks up here in New England. Um, and you know, over the next couple weeks, we'll dive into each track uh, when we talk here on the podcast, and we'll tell you about. Uh, you know, weekly races at Stafford, what they have weekly that might incite you. Uh, Seacock's got a great weekly slate they've put together. I want to touch on that here. Um, but th- there's a lot of race checks with these weekly slates. Seacock, though, Tom, going back to some racing routes for their 75th anniversary I season. I love this. Um, in 2020. So July 1, Wednesday night, Open Wheel Wednesday, the Tri-Track Series for 100 laps. They've got the 350 Super Modifies making their debut at Seacock. Uh, for a show that night, and they've got the Boston Louis uh, Classic Night has been moved. Now it's just going to be the Dave Steele Memorial for the NEMA Lights that night. So three great races there. Then you come back later in the month on July 29th, and you've got the Pro All-Star Series Super Late Models and the American Canadian Tour Late Models, our first reference outside of the Mighty Modifieds. Um, on July 29th, a Wednesday night show for a uh, Super Late Model and Late Model show there. And then August 12th, a show that I know you're going to be interested to see what happens. Boston Louie for the NEMA Midgets and NEMA Lights, their annual Boston Louie Classic, and the return of the Isma Super Modifieds on August 12th. That is going to be a show that race fans are not going to want to miss in New England. Yeah, that's going to be a great show. And I love the Isma Super Modified Tour schedule came out this past week. And I love that they've got so many dates in New England now. I think this division needs... I think the Supers need to stay close to home base. I almost think this is an opportunity. They Let's face facts here. They've had car count issues the last couple seasons, particularly last year. Um, you could barely get 15 cars to, to go anywhere. Um, there were a lot of teams that, that just chose to not run the full schedule. I think you've got, you've got a good amount of cars in New England, and I think... Isma running so many shows, bringing back the Seekonk date, going to Beach Ridge, you know, having shows. I think there's one in knock if I remember correctly. Having shows like that, and then of course you got you know your Thompson, uh, uh, the Thompson World Series, the end of the year. Um, they just added the Oswego date, which is awesome on May 30th. I think that's going to be a, a, a good situation. That's their opener. I think Isma's in kind of a re- rebuilding phase and i think having so many of their shows in the new england area will give the teams an opportunity to run more shows closer to home and for the the series to kind of come back a little bit and certainly the seacock date is is going to help that that boston louis date is always a big deal 
and I'm glad the Supers are a part of it. That's going to be a good opportunity for uh, the Isma Supermodified Tour as well. Yeah, and that that's you know just just a, a tidbit there on Seacock's seventy fifth season, um, which again we, you know Hard we'll to touch believe. on more um, <laughs> going forward here in our podcast. But we also before we wrap this show, Tom, want to mention uh, the situation up at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park, um, which I'm sure you're down south, but I'm sure you've seen the Facebook oh, yes. scrolling and, and comments. Um, and obviously an interesting situation going on up here at one of New England's most historic tracks, but not only New England, one of the country's most historic short tracks. Thompson Speedway uh, celebrating close to their 80th year now, um, getting ready for 2020 with a six-race schedule that they've put in place. The Icebreaker, the World Series, and the Bud 150, the three modified tour races there are locked in, and then they've got three weekly shows run on Wednesday nights spread across the summer. But there are contingencies with this, Tom, and, and, and something I don't think we've really seen ever um, in the short track community. Contingencies that if the racers don't commit by the middle of January, so yes, coming up here in a week or so, um, if they don't commit by then, they may not run the shows. Um, and this is kind of uncharted waters, you know, mixed uh, support right now. Uh, but let's face the reality of the situation. I know there's been a lot of speculation on this, a lot of questions coming to me and locals uh, about what's going to happen. No matter what, I do fully expect to see those three modified tour races at Thompson in 2020. Whether there are six shows, including six weekly shows under the NASCAR Weekly Series sanction or not, I don't know. But I'm guaranteeing, you know, almost, you know, in pen on the paper, that the modified tour is going to run those three shows there. And I say that because that sanctioning agreement has already been signed. Um, and that sanctioning agreement had to be signed before the tour schedule was even put out. So I would expect those three races to run no matter what, whether it's right. just those three that the track runs. I guess that's, you know, left to be seen. But, uh, you know, you've been around the short track community longer than I have. This really seems to me like uncharted waters. Never mind the fact that I'll throw this in at the end. They're dropping their purses by 75%. So an SK race went from somewhere around 1,400 to win all the way down to somewhere around three, four, 500 to win. That's a big drop for race teams. Yeah, it is. Um, and I, the first thing I want to say is I've seen a lot of what I would call vitriol. I've seen a lot of just, you know, bad language, just personal, just real angry. You, you never, you can never have a discussion or move the needle in any kind of negotiation when you're just, you know, puking pablum at somebody. Um, Look, I mean, I'm outside the beltway here, so I don't want to claim to have a dog in the fight, except that I care about short track racing. Practically everything I do is connected to short track racing in some way. We do cover, obviously, the bigger divisions, NASCAR and whatever, on on some of our live shows. And we do write about all of that because it's a part of the sport, too. But I grew up with short tracks, and I'm still a short track guy. And that's why we're starting this show. The only thing I will say about it is that there is certainly going to be a line that gets drawn here. There's a point where the teams look at it and say, well, we just we can't allow other tracks to believe that we would consider going and racing for this kind of a purse because then maybe the other tracks look at it and say, 
well, why are we paying you so much if you're going to go over there and run for so little? Now, you know, maybe you look at it as, and here's how I would like to think this is, I would like to think this plays out as maybe if they go support it, Thompson will see that they're willing to support the track and bring the purses back up. You, you can't, because if, if it becomes a deal where we're only going to pay this purse forever in this, you know, this type of racing, again, at some point, the teams have got to look and go, well, what is our value? And how little are we willing to race for? That's a tough situation for the teams. I'm not, I don't have any knowledge. You have far more knowledge than I do of of the track and from the management side and what they're thinking and what they're trying to do. I don't want to, um, I don't want to speculate because I'm out, again, I'm outside the beltway on this one. But I would hate to think that this would be some sort of a way, a, 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 a ploy by the track to drop the purses to the point where the teams don't show up and then later on blame the teams for, you know, no more oval track racing at Thompson. I would hope that that wouldn't be the case because if that is the case, then that's just evil and um, it's not smart business. What I would like to think is that the two sides keep an open dialogue and, you know, if the teams will come out and support and mostly if the fans will come out and support, but again, it's a tough situation. You're wanting to run in the middle of the week and, you know, it's just hard. People only have only so much discretionary income anymore. And although the economy is better than it was, Kyle, I just, I don't know. It's, you know, if you're going to go to a Wednesday night show, do the, does the average fan in that area that follows those divisions, and again, I'm putting this out there not, I don't know, because I don't know the area that well anymore, um, do they have enough money to then go support a Friday at Stafford or a Saturday somewhere else, or is that, you know, the only show that they're going to do that week? I don't know how all that falls into place. So I just hope it works out somehow, because I love Thompson. I, I've been there a few times in the in the past for for the World Series, uh, once for their icebreaker opener, um, and I I love that track. I think it's a great track. I know they've added the road course, and that kind of provides some easy money because the road course clubs don't ask a lot of the facility. It's kind of just open it up, let us come and play, and that's great. But you know, I hope it can still be a part of the New England racing scene in other ways because. The amateur kind of racing that those clubs bring doesn't draw a lot of spectator interest, so it's really just about the track kind of making money off the back gate, and that's fine. But um, gosh, Kyle, I just hate I hate it that that the situation exists. I hate it's come to this, and I hope that uh, everybody can find some way to resolve this and go forward in a way that doesn't devalue the divisions that Thompson's offering to run for you know, a fraction of the purse, because I kind of think that's what you're doing in a way. Um, you know, if you want to have a stepladder and say, well, if we get X cars, here's the purse. If we get, you know, if we get this many cars, here's the purse and do it that way, then maybe that's that would have been a better way to go. I don't know that that's what was offered, was it? No, no, absolutely not. Um, so what, what's offered basically is they're going to pay the top 10 drivers in, in their five NASCAR yeah. weekly divisions uh, and nothing outside of that. So obviously, 
uh, you know, you look at it from multiple perspectives. Obviously, it's a business for Thompson. They want yeah. to do what they're going to get to make money. They do have a road course that's successful. Exactly. Um, so you have to understand that perspective as well. Is it great for short track racing? No, probably not. Um, is it good for the race competitors? No, probably not. Um, especially when they're only running six races. And, and that car that you run at Thompson is kind of different than a car you'll run anywhere else. Um, and I know a lot of the front-running guys in, in all of the divisions there are not bringing that car to multiple facilities. Ah. Um, they've got two or three different cars that they're bringing. So that plays a factor, too. I'm interested to see how that goes. You know, they're looking for support uh, here in the next couple weeks, or they may have to cancel those uh, weekly series events. Yeah. Um, if they do cancel those three Wednesday night weekly series shows that are not tour-related, I, I, I would expect them to not run races under the NASCAR weekly sanction um, with only three events. That, that's basically what they're saying. So interested to see how that plays out, Tom. Uh, it's one of the major stories up here. We sure talked about is. Doug Kobe at the beginning of the show, and I think it's fitting that we're kind of sealing the show uh, by talking about another New England major story. And Thompson, uh track that's been around a long time. You mentioned you've been up here before. Oh, yeah. I think that's a sentiment that you share um, across a wide range of uh, uh, folks, not just up here in New England, but folks across the entire country um, that have been to Thompson Speedway. So interested to see how this plays out, interested to see what's next for Thompson Speedway, the track itself, and what's next for those competitors, Tom, because let's face it, if Thompson doesn't run, they've got to find somewhere to race. Um, and there are other tracks up here that will gladly take cars. We know that. Sure. Um, Stafford, Seacock, you know, there's tracks up north, too, that take similar style race cars. So uh, yeah, interesting to see how this plays out. I'm sure in our next couple episodes while we're talking, uh, there's going to be some developments that we'll bring up, and, and maybe we can get uh, maybe a Thompson driver or two on here in the future to talk about uh, how they feel about the situation. And, you know, guys like Keith Rocco, Todd Owen, already coming out publicly uh, in a story I read on RacedayCT.com talking about how they are going to be uh, proponents of this. They're going to race. They're going to go to their local track. They're going to run. They're going to run for that purse. They're not going to give up on Thompson Speedway. I've seen the flip side, which I'm sure you've seen as well, drivers saying, what are you, crazy? We're never going to run for that money. Um, and they're going to try to find somewhere else to race. Yeah. So, heck, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just as confused as the next guy um, on this one, which doesn't happen too often, I don't think. I'm not usually stumped, but I'm stumped here. Um, I don't know what is going to happen going forward with Thompson, but we can only hope for the best. We can only hope for short track racing to live on there at one of uh, – the country's most historic tracks. Exactly, and that's I. I hope for the best for everybody in that situation. We don't want to. At least we're not on this show. We're not going to just, you know, disrespect the folks from Thompson or anyone else in the situation. Uh, I mean, we have our opinions like everybody else. They're worth about the same as everybody else's. We're not afraid to put them out there for you. Uh, but at the same time, I think this is a situation that, much like the Kobe situation, it's. The, the particulars of this are kind of unique. You just don't see this very often. And I, I think one of the the interesting parts of it is that if this were happening in an area that doesn't have a bunch of other modified racing that or, you know, weekly racing for those classes, that would be one thing. It's happening in the area where most of that is plentiful. So um, it, it it's Thompson certainly made a, a stand here this is what we're willing to pay for weekly shows on the oval if you don't want to run then we just won't run it and i think it's up to the drivers and teams whether or not that's acceptable and it may all be a moot point if they don't get fan count because if the fans don't come out 
you're probably going to see this be a one-and-done thing even if it happens this year because it doesn't appear to me from the way Thompson worded their their statement doesn't appear to me that the oval track's a big priority for them at this point so they either get what they want and get what they need to to make it as profitable or whatever as they want to make it or you know they'll just let it sit and run the road course uh, that's that's the inference that one seems to get so we'll see how it works out i just uh i hope it works out for the best i it's been a long time since i've been to thompson um that we used to be a motel up there and i want to say it was called the yankee drummer um years ago when i was there uh that we used to stay at and it was just a bunch of fun we had a good time there and and a lot of fun um and you know going to a place like thompson or star or seekonk um was always a great time the new england racing scene is very vibrant uh there's the fans are unbelievably uh excited and passionate and you know honestly i wish i could bring a little of that down here because you don't see as much of it here in the south the way that you see it in new england um in terms of the weekly racing on pavement at least so we'll see how it works out kyle this has been fun um our first show uh, we are going to try to do this weekly. Again, we're we're just getting started, so um, we need to uh, get ourselves organized a little bit. So bear with us over the first handful of shows as we kind of find our rhythm and start working guests in, um, and just put the uh, the flow of the show together that we're gonna will be the sort of long term model. But we're excited, and we hope you are too. We hope that uh, you will, and we ask that you share this and uh help us build the audience because we really need to develop that uh and and develop that consistency obviously we don't want to just talk to ourselves so (laughs) feel free to share this and help us to get the word out that this show exists uh and thank you in advance for doing that and i guess we'll just close it that way kyle uh certainly looking forward to our next show and uh excited to be doing this with you this year and we hope for uh, the years to come yeah, uh, glad to be on and uh, glad to put this together to talk about New England racing. On the next show, Tom, we'll plan to talk about Seaconk uh, and Stafford, their local weekly slates. Uh, hopefully by then we'll have some type of uh, information about Doug Kobe, what's he doing um, for the 2020 season, but uh, we'll focus on some of the New England tracks and their schedules. And uh, looking forward to getting the season started down at New Smyrna for Speed Weeks, where a lot of the race teams from up here are going to be. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to being there to, to talk about that live uh, down there, about what's going on on my social channels as well. Uh, and looking forward to uh, talking to you all again uh, real soon here in the coming days. Okay, so for Kyle Souza, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you for listening to this first episode of Mainly Modifieds. We hope you'll be a regular, and uh, until next time, Race safe, everybody, if you're racing. Otherwise, have a great week. So long. You've been listening to Mainly Modifieds, the show where ground pounders and northeast speed freaks come to get their radio fix on. The show is available on demand by searching Race Chaser Radio on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Music, and most other major podcast platforms. Visit racechasermedia.com for more unique motorsports stories and radio content. And follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.